welcome back. Janie Morris here. Um, first of all, I'd like to say thank you, a huge thank you for all the messages that are a bit surprising actually. All the messages and um, uh, a few emails and what have you that I've had, that I've received since I did my first little reading of my book Against Their Odds the other day. Um, it's quite humbling actually, so thank you. I'm very glad you're enjoying me reading from the book. Uh, for those of you, in case you didn't see the previous uh, video, in May this year, I am celebrating 10 years since I was given two months to live. Uh, a year or so after that, I wrote the book, Against Their Odds, which is the, um, the story of my journey that led me up to that moment of that prognosis and also what I did in order to reverse that prognosis or the beginnings of it at least. And, uh, and I was encouraged to start reading from the book as a part of the celebration of actually achieving nine years and 10 months more than they said that I was going to have. So having said that, why don't I read to you chapter one? Because we read the rest, the prologues and what have you. I will sit back, relax, have a cup of tea. And um, I feel like one of those radio readers. You know those ones, you know the radio stations that um, uh, where they read all of the newspapers and things. I feel like one of those. Maybe that's my calling in life. Maybe that's um, something that I could do to add to everything else that I do. <laughs> okay, chapter one of my book, Against Their Odds. Death and Dying. Our lives, yours and mine, are being lived between just two small breaths the first one we take and the last one we gasp like the books we read there is always a first page and a last and it is between those two pages or those two mouthfuls of air that we live our lives generally our attention is focused on those middle pages where stuff happens where the storybook words reveal the good the bad and sometimes very challenging and ugly realities of living. That somewhere between the dream and the victory is the struggle, sometimes many struggles. What I have come to understand is the inescapable truth that sometimes some things come easy and at other times they don't, and that in the pages of life, my life, our family's lives, our friends' lives, we are tested. Sometimes our very survival is threatened, either financially or health-wise, or it could be those precious relationships that are dear to us, that are jeopardised. Hopefully we don't suffer all three conflicts at the same time. However, sometimes we do, and it happened to me. In the bulging library of information in my brain, under a heading titled Experiences, there is a small book with a chapter marked Death and Dying, 
I knew it was there, other people knew about it, had read it and told me about it. However, I had merely glanced in its direction a couple of times from a distance. Then my dad passed away because of heart failure. It wasn't sudden, however, because he had had several bypass operations, like many others who had been through the same procedures, he just couldn't have any more. He was 75 and I was just 35. It was a very difficult time for all of us, especially for my two sons who respected and loved their granddad very much. My relationship with my dad had not always been easy. We'd been estranged for a few years after an archaic court visitation order expired when I was 17. We had rediscovered each other 10 years before he passed away and we all became aware of his deteriorating health. He had endured three heart bypass operations, the first one at 55, and while things got better for a while, his health began to slide and he had another operation and then another. It got to the point where he just couldn't undergo another one. Unlike a lot of people who were taken suddenly and without warning, Dad knew he didn't have long. He understood his time was coming to an end, and so he organised his own wake to make sure he heard all the stories about him, all the recognition hoo-ha, figuring it was no use to him after he was gone. That was my dad. It was about that time I realised it was more important to know what kind of person has the disease rather than what kind of disease has the patient. It was a lesson that later sustained me during the many dark hours of my own struggle to live. Then the father of my children passed away unexpectedly, quickly and tragically. He was only 50 and I was 39. We had two beautiful sons together and whilst the years had been somewhat up and down in many respects and we both often failed at parental skills, our mutual concern was our children. He was an incredibly talented musician, a career he chose not to pursue to the degree he should have after the birth of our children and he was also one for living each day which often led to some choices in food and drink that may not have been the greatest. Stress was a huge factor in the years leading up to what happened to him and his heart eventually failed him. He was put on the heart transplant list and when he flew to Melbourne to be on standby for when and if a suitable heart became available, the cardiac specialists gave him five weeks to live. And within those five weeks, he passed away. At that time and on other occasions also, I, I too often wasn't feeling the best. However, it was an important sign I ignored I had occasionally experienced often excruciating pain behind my eyes. The nausea I was feeling was horrid and my inability to sleep was driving me crazy. Why had I done it again? Every time I went out, I would promise myself I would have only a couple of drinks because I knew how it affected me. However, at the time, I didn't have the discipline or the self-confidence to hold on to that promise. It happened often. Like any other major experience, Binging on alcohol actually changes us, at least temporarily. It relieves us from the pressure of meeting the world head on. And there was a song I used to play in my head. Whenever I feel afraid, I hold my head erect and whistle a happy tune so no one will suspect. I'm afraid. The result of this deception is very strange to tell. For when I feel that fool the people I fear, I fool myself as well.
I felt I was in the cement mixer of life, being turned over and over and over. Looking back, I suppose I was frightened and I discovered that the occasional drink sometimes produced artificial courage, artificial happiness, artificial joy and artificial self-satisfaction. And so it made my life bearable in those moments where I lacked confidence to be engaging. Me needing a drink. Me. The person who can stand in front of crowds of thousands or as little as 10 and speak on the importance of self-confidence, of finding your inner essence and core beliefs, following your dreams and designing your life, sustaining motivation and creating a worthwhile and joyful work-life balance. Yet every time I would go out to simple social events, I was also scared. I was worried people would be judging what I was wearing scared people would judge me because of my makeup and my hair i feared i would know no one and be left standing on my own until some dear person would feel sorry for me and make light conversation before being happily distracted by another and politely excusing themselves and move on because i had so little self-confidence i had to depend on the affirmation of others people who didn't know or care about me really i didn't understand way back then that what people thought of me was none of my business. At the time, I was probably too concerned with what strangers thought of me rather than what I thought of me. I often felt this and never actually thought about the irony of being able to emcee large events worldwide, speak on radio regularly and work as a presenter on television, yet privately, when I was on my own, totally lack all confidence to even breathe without fear. I always told myself when I was in social situations and events that just one glass of wine would help, that it would take away my anxious feeling inside and relax me more. And maybe two drinks would make me more likable to others. The funny stories we tell ourselves to justify what we do and say sometimes. It was a massive charade. My whole life I have sought out sources of healthy living the right foods to eat, the right exercise for me, the right health supplements. My cupboards are always filled with health books and magazines and I relish the television shows that focused on those areas. Knowing how red wine was so popularly promoted as healthy, it was always the moderation point that I seemed to ignore. I rarely drank at home alone. Drinking alcohol wasn't an addiction. It was merely a crutch for the lack of self-confidence. I possessed something I did not want anyone to know about as I always wanted people to see me as someone who walked their talk someone who was the same in private as they were in public however socially if I went out to a party or some public function people always said oh Jamie's so effervescent so positive and all that sort of thing yet my life was a facade because I have always had low confidence and low self-esteem and when I'm straight with people, when we talk about this, even when I'm doing seminars, when I admit this on stage now, people will say they can't believe it. They say, how could that be true? You're on stage. You talk to thousands of people sometimes. You've helped thousands of people worldwide become self-confident and have increased their self-esteem. That public stuff was a performance back then. You just perform. International author and public speaker Jim Rohn was a classic. Everybody loved Jim, as did I. 
Jim and I were very close personal friends for many, many, many years. However, in private, Jim was slightly different than when he was in the public eye, and he was often nervous about before he went on stage, as was I. I had the good fortune to spend many years on holidays and travel expeditions with Jim, often staying at his private homes in Carmel, in Los Angeles, and in Palm Springs, when I was living and working in America. Nevertheless, alcohol helped give me the artificial courage. And so whenever I'd go out socially to make myself feel better, I'd have a couple of glasses of champagne before anybody had finished even just one glass of champagne. That was how it was back then, always. I believe a lot of people would relate to that. I look back on those times now, and it is a bit embarrassing to talk about some of it. However, now when I do, the freedom in my soul it provides is absolute magic. That was me back then. That's not me now. And that, my friends, is chapter one of Against Their Odds, my story about when I was given two months to live in 2012. If you'd like a copy of my book, it is being re-edited. There are some things that need to be taken out. Um, not that affects the story. There is, um, as people know, uh, I'm no longer married. So those parts that refer to my ex-husband have to be removed. So they're coming out. Um, but it doesn't change the context of this particular book. It is available from my website www.janiemorris.com. It's also available on Amazon. It's available in ebook version as well, as well as audio. So if you would like to have that and download it and listen to it, um, Eternal Optimism, it saved my life. So that's chapter one. I hope wherever you are in this amazing, beautiful world of ours, you're having an absolutely fabulous day. And thanks for joining me for, hmm, I should call this Janie's Story Time. Have a great day.